Hello, everyone. This is Reb Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Today's pod is going to be very different. As I shared with you last week, the Soccer Chaplains United chaplains have been working on putting together a video-recorded virtual Ash Wednesday service for today, Wednesday, February 17th. Today is Ash Wednesday, and it's the time that the church and Christians around the world mark the beginning of the season of Lent and the 40 days or so leading up to Easter Sunday. So instead of doing a separate podcast, what I've done is simply taken the audio, both English and Spanish, and put it here into our typical format for the From the Touchline podcast. So there might be a bit of silence in the beginning of the service where we don't have audio and we just have some slides. And I encourage you really to just check out the recorded service, which will be on our YouTube page and we'll have it linked on our website, social media outlets, and also on our app. But if you can't watch the video service, for some reason, I just thought the audio would be at least be better than nothing. The service is right around 40 minutes. It has music, prayer, scripture reading, teaching, and even a time of applying the ashes. So get into a good space for listening, and I pray that this blesses you as much as it's blessed me. The service starts right after our typical opener. God bless. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post, almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner, goes towards the near post, and you're the angle, and what a goal! What a goal! Hello and welcome to the Soccer Chaplains United Virtual Ash Wednesday service for 2021. We're excited to serve and share with you in this moment, and at the start, I just want to say, I know this isn't ideal. Typically for the club that I serve, I would be at the stadium on Ash Wednesday, reading and sharing this time in person with the athletes, coaches, and staff members that want to participate. Definitely this past year of 2020, and even this year of 2021, we are missing seeing each of the people we get to serve face-to-face. We love and care for you so very much. We also know many of you are getting ready for the season, and with the different guidelines and restrictions in place, some are far from home, far from family, unable to participate in church or a faith community. So we wanted to offer something even if it was less than ideal. Hopefully you've had a chance to download, open, or look at the little order of service that we created to go along with this time. If not, you can take a moment to pause the video and look for that, but don't feel like you have to. We've tried to make this as simple and mobile-friendly as possible. For the songs and responsive readings, we're going to have words scrolling on the screen to help you follow along and participate as you like. During the service, you're going to meet several of the different chaplains that represent Soccer Chaplains United and from all levels of the game. Major League Soccer, National Women's Soccer League, the United Soccer Leagues, even high school. Forgive us too. This was really a last minute kind of idea. So we've been putting these pieces together this past week and with our different time zones and personalities and skill sets, uh, we just kind of decided, you know, we're not trying to offer something that's uh, really rehearsed or super, super polished. We just wanted to offer something for you, for your family, for those in football that helps prepare the heart, mind, and soul for Easter. Feel free to share this with teammates or colleagues or others in the game if you find it meaningful and if you think they would too. So thanks again for joining us. We hope and pray that you find this to be a special and meaningful time. Well, at the beginning, I want to take just a brief moment and talk about Ash Wednesday. 
I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, I didn't observe or even know what Ash Wednesday was. In fact, it was while I was in seminary, I remember I was sitting in a coffee shop and I saw someone come in with a mark on their forehead. At first I thought, ooh, bad makeup day. They missed it with the eyeliner. Maybe I should tell them. But then I saw a few more people come in with the same mark on their forehead. And I, I thought to myself, well, I wonder what religion or faith this is. And so I Googled it on my phone and it came up with something like uh, Ash Wednesday. This is the 40 days before Easter, a Christian observance. <laughs> I had to laugh. Why didn't I know about this? Well, the truth is not all Christian denominations and traditions recognize or observe Ash Wednesday in the subsequent season of Lent. And if that's you, that's okay. It was once me. But I've really come to love and appreciate Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent because it helps get me ready for Easter. You know, so many times before this, I would feel surprised. Oh, Easter's next week? Wow, where'd, where'd this come from? And I found that this intentional time of preparation and reflection really helps me more fully appreciate and enjoy what happened on Easter morning so many years ago. Father Richard John Newhouse, one of my favorite writers, in his book, Death on a Friday Afternoon, wrote this powerful caution for Christians that's captivated my thinking for a number of years now. He said this, Do not hurry by the cross on your way to Easter joy, for we know the risen Lord only through Christ and him crucified. So Ash Wednesday marks the start of this important season of Lent. The season is 40 days before Easter Sunday. We exclude Sundays because even on those Sundays, we, we take a break from the fast because we still celebrate Jesus' uh, Jesus's resurrection from the dead. These 40 days, too, they mirror the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness facing temptation. And there's some other biblical parallels uh, back to the Old Testament, including Moses' 40 years as a shepherd in the desert before he leads Israel out of Egypt. And then Israel as a nation when they're wandering in the wilderness and, and before they enter the promised land. During Lent, there's three traditional habits or practices that come into sharp focus for Christians, and they include prayers of repentance, giving to or serving the poor, and fasting. I think fasting is probably the most familiar, the one that we've heard of most often. You know, probably you've heard someone say or ask, what are you giving up for Lent? And the answers can vary. Oh, I'm giving up chocolate, or I'm giving up sugar or meat. Uh, some people give up things like social media or other things like anger. Over the years, I've tried to fast from these many different things, and it's really hard. So if you choose to try fasting from something, I want to encourage you, challenge yourself, but also don't get too stuck or disappointed if you fail or fall. I've done that many, of, many a time. If you and I, though, I think can somehow practice one, two, or all three of the disciplines during Lent, I think we'll find a richness that will only make Easter that much brighter and more glorious. A word, though, too, it's important to not merely stop doing something or just to fast from something. You see, Lent isn't a diet plan. Instead, we need to consider filling that space and time with something that orients us towards God and helps us reflect on our need for God, our need for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. For example, if you fast from lunch sometime during the week, you know, maybe you want to pick up a devotional book. One of my favorites is this book, Bread and Wine. It's got a lot of different writings in it. Or maybe you choose to read through each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe we spend our extra time that we have uh, in quiet prayer. Or maybe we serve at a local soup kitchen or a homeless shelter, given uh, what we can do in our community. The point is that during the season, we should strive to do some things out of the usual, out of the ordinary, but things that remind us of our weakness and our dependence on God.
Well, I hope today's Ash Wednesday service helps get us started. Over the course of the next few minutes, we're going to have scripture, silence, music, prayer, responsive reading. The application of ashes, too, is really going to be helpful and important to remind us of this pivotal and critical truth that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, that we are broken, frail, fallen people who need God desperately. Well, my prayer is that God the Father would richly bless these next few moments. May the Holy Spirit indwell you and I as we consider and reflect on our need for the sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ. God bless you. I'd like you to open up your Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. So I'll give you a minute just to get there. And beginning in verse 12, Joel writes, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room. Let the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep before the portico and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Please join me in a time of prayer. Father, we thank you for Ash Wednesday. We thank you for the reminder, God, of the grace that you have poured out amongst us. Father, during this time, we can remember the sacrifice of your son. God, that is through his blood, that through his death on the cross, that we have grace, that we have mercy. God, that you have shown us the depth of your love for us. And Lord, during this season, help us to be reminded, not just during Ash Wednesday, but every day, God, of the grace that you pour out upon us day in and day out. God, that you have overlooked all of our sins, all of our errors. Lord, and that you invite us into your chamber. You invite us into relationship. God, you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. And Father, we thank you that you tear down the walls, that you tear down the idols that we can build sometimes, and you help us to get back to the root, back to the heart, back to the core, back to what matters most, and that is our relationship with you, and everything else stems from that. And so help us during this season to focus in, to turn our eyes, to turn our hearts, Lord, to repent, but to also recognize that we get to worship you because of your son Jesus and his death on the cross. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Ben, for leading us in that song. I want to read from Psalm 51. And this is a beautiful psalm written by David. It's a psalm of repentance and confession after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan for his sin. And it gives us a form of repentant prayer to use throughout this Lenten season. Let me read Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in that womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And now let's pray together the prayers of confession, including times of silence where we can put our confession before God. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth, that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors, our teammates, our coaches, our spouses, our family members as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. So have mercy on us, Lord. We have been deaf to your call to serve as Christ served us. The noise of the crowd and the noise of this world have drowned you out. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We are lazy, bored, and we think about other things. We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. We confess to you, Lord. 
our self-indulgent appetites and ways, our anger at our frustration, and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves, our self-indulgent love of worldly good and comforts, and our dishonesty in daily life and work, we confess all of this to you, Lord. Accept our repentance, Lord, for the wrongs we have done, for our blindness to human need and suffering, and our indifference to injustice and cruelty. Accept our repentance, Lord. For all false judgments, for uncharitable thoughts towards our neighbors, and for our prejudice and contempt towards those who differ from us. Accept our repentance, Lord. Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us. Good Lord, deliver us. Accomplish in us the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world. By the cross and passion of your Son, our Lord, bring us with all your saints to the joy of his resurrection. Amen. Indeed, Greg, you said it well to round off our last section. By the passion and the cross of our Lord, bring us with all of your saints to the joy of your resurrection. And yet, a principle that is quoted intellectually but rarely felt and lived with our entire body is this. Death precedes life in the kingdom of God. North America says, be true to yourself. Jesus says, die to yourself. To say it another way, we often want the benefits of the resurrection without sharing in the agony of the road to Calvary. We will rush to redemption without going through renovation. A counselor friend of mine reminds us that Jesus was in the grave for three days. In our escapist culture, with good vibes only being the focus, how do we align our hearts with the hero of history? In our journey to the cross, Lent is a time of year on the Christian calendar when we mourn our sin and let go of worldly attachments that keep our hearts from experiencing God more fully. But how? How do we reevaluate and recalibrate the values of our hearts to match those of our suffering Savior? Well, linking together Greg's reflections on David's prayer in Psalm 51, Jesus offers us a very practical and sobering parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 19 through 14. If you got a copy of your scripture, please turn to it. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Sounds a lot like us, huh? Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus speaking, I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, setting the scene quickly, Jesus' remarks before this parable were about the coming of the kingdom of God, its global and personal reality, a now in an unfolding and a then in fulfilling. He pulls it into the practical with four illustrations. The first he told to, quote, show them that they should always pray and not give up. Verse 1 of chapter 18. The second, our text, was for, quote, those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. The NIV translation. These words strike abrasively against the unattended to certainties that we hold. Jesus is confronting because he's loving. Jesus confronts because he cares. The lures of this world are too seductive. And if we are left to our own devices, we will start to think and to act like this Pharisee in the differing spheres of our lives. And did you notice he, the Pharisee, looked down on everyone, whereas the tax collector was looking at the one, not God, himself. Here in this parable, we see the stark contrast illustrating that true righteousness, being good with God, ourselves, and other people is granted only to those who humble themselves and rely solely on God's mercy. And here at this point, a helpful distinction is needed. Recalling verse chapter Verse 10, both went to the temple to pray, but only one was justified. Justified as being set free from every sin through Jesus. You see, we are often so blinded by our own righteousness that it takes the unblemished righteousness of God to expose us to the true degree of our own unrighteousness. That's why Calvin could say, man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he first looks upon God's face because the exact representation of God, the fullness of God is Jesus Christ. It is by looking to him and at him that we ourselves are more humble. And here's the distinction. Confession names our specific offensive ways to God. And repentance, the Greek word metanoia, turn and change. Once more, confession names our specific grievances or offensive ways to God. And repentance, the Greek word metanoia, self-denial, repentance, turn, change. So when we start to run the list in our heads of why we're better than someone, we can pray, God have mercy on me, a sinner. When we give up a goal, on the field, we can say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When you're in the locker room, pulling off your socks in anger because you just cussed, 
you can pull off your anger by saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. After a heated argument with your family, you can say to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In those moments where it's easy and advantageous to exalt ourselves, remember the last words of this parable. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, before we shift to our next vignette, here's a very short quote from a book I'm reading called Wine and Bread, Readings for Lent and Easter. Pay close attention. Lent is a time to let go of excuses for failings and shortcomings to stop hanging on to whatever shred of goodness we perceive in ourselves, a time to ask God to show us what we really look like. And what's remarkable, our need for repentance cannot erase the good news that Christ overcome all sin. His resurrection frees us from ourselves. His empty tomb turns our attention away from all that is wrong with us and the world and spurs us on to experience the abundant life he promises. In one moment, Billy is going to lead us in a song titled, Jesus Paid It All. Now, you may not know the lyrics, but as you listen and engage, you can be confident in and encouraged by Jesus Christ humbled himself for you and for me. Your strength may be small, but you can watch and pray, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's lift our voices, even if our hearts are downcast, and know that Jesus paid our debt He's bought us by his blood to bring us back to him. And we can praise him because he's raised us up from the dead. If singing is too hard, simply repeat as Billy plays, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's be grounded and guided by him as we sing to him. When we consider what it means to live the Christian life, Understanding the cross and the forgiveness that we have through it is really fundamental. I often say that it's like a math problem. If you get the first line of the math problem wrong, everything that follows is wrong as well. Jesus' forgiveness is the first line of our math problem. It informs everything about how we think about ourselves, how we understand the way we can approach God, how we move into the world and love others. And the truth is this, that... uh, Through the cross, we aren't just forgiven for things that we've done, though we certainly are. We're forgiven for things we're doing now and things we haven't even done yet. And it's really important that we let that penetrate our hearts. And I want to take a minute here to reflect on those truths with you as we sing this next song. Left a crimson stain, he 
change the leper spots and melt this heart of stone. Thanks for that song, Billy. Well, friends, we come now to perhaps the oddest and most difficult part of our time together. I've tried to think of many different ways to best provide the application or what is known as the imposition of ashes. I thought about mailing out a pack of ashes to everyone, but that would have been hard, maybe a little bit strange. I thought about asking people during this time to go outside, get a little bit of dirt and rub it on their forehead as I say these words, but again, a little weird. Maybe someday our virtual technology will allow us to make this kind of a thing a, a reality, a possibility. I don't know. But let me encourage you, if you can, make it to a local church or parish today for a service of ashes. You know, maybe if you're on a, a club that has a chaplain, ask them, you know, what kind of local services are going on around this part of town? And try to do it. I, I think there's something powerful in the touch of a pastor or a priest who places the ashes on our foreheads. And I think especially during the season of life, we're really missing this part that's most needed for, for our own humanity, we're missing human touch. Now, the practice of placing ashes on the forehead comes from ancient times, from Old Testament times. Ashes back then were used to demonstrate grief, mourning, and repentance. Sometimes they were used for personal expressions of grief, and sometimes they were used for more corporate or national expressions. 
For example, Jewish believers, when they were confronted with their sinfulness, their waywardness from God, they would tear their garments and they would put on sackcloth and then they would rub ashes on their forehead as a sign and an act of repentance. Ashes back then atop someone's head was also a sign of distress. It demonstrated that that person knew that there was a, a level of frailty, of insignificance, that they needed help. Now, the ashes themselves, I've, I've got some right here. They actually come from the palm fronds, the leaves, which are collected from the previous year and then burned. So when you see kids running around at church with palm branches shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest on Palm Sunday, well, those branches and leaves are going to become next year's ashes for Ash Wednesday. I like to think that this is good recycling, good stewardship of the church, nothing going to waste. But there's a deeper meaning here, too. The thing that was once alive and that dies still has a usefulness. It can still point us to something important. You see, the ashes remind us of this ever-present truth. We're frail. We're dirt. We're dust. We're weak. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, as they stand before God, having disobeyed his command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, otherwise they would die. Well, they've done the deed, and now they're in need of salvation. So God comes and he tells Adam, you know, life is going to be difficult, and death will come at the end of it. But he gives Adam and Eve hope, too. God's words to Adam in Genesis 3.19 are this. Maybe you've heard them before. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. You know, maybe you and I have heard those words at a funeral or a graveside moment before. But I think these are important words for us to hear and consider throughout all of our life. It's not just something to push aside. And I think that as athletes and people in soccer, this is really hard. We want to be strong, mind, body, and soul. We don't want to, for a minute, consider or reflect on or meditate on weakness or frailty. And really, we've been trained and conditioned to push through and to develop this mental and emotional and physical resiliency. That way we can achieve the high levels where we play and perform. But I believe and I know that we're healthier people when we hold these things in tension. Not that we dwell on it, but also that we don't ignore it. And in the midst of the weak moments, whether it's an injury, a failure, a weakness, even a death, if we've developed that, that heart muscle, that rhythm, we can lean into and depend more upon God and his strength and his power, realizing that we are weak and frail and that we need him. So as I get ready to place the ashes on you, I'll first place the ashes on myself. Listen to these words and watch what I do. Brad, remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. Turn from sin and follow Jesus Christ. Friend, I know this next part might take some imaginative work, but if you would receive this virtual application of the ashes, just maybe slightly bow your head and lean in. You can, even with your own hand, as I say these words, maybe make the sign of the cross on your own forehead as I symbolically and virtually place these ashes on you. Friend, remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Turn from sin and follow Jesus Christ. Amen.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we close our time, I look forward to entering this season together with you. We have always been characterized throughout the Bible as people in waiting. What we do with that time of waiting is important and a precious gift. Together, we have the opportunity to rest and rise, not strive and climb. We take pause to consider how our resources can be honoring to God and to one another. We together can be honest about who we are. We can come to God because he is gentle to the lowly. As you prepare for your professional season and all the challenges ahead, it's a unique time this Lent season. So practice being near to the creator God who loves you. As we go on today, I'll leave you here with this prayer. O Son of God, do a miracle for me and change my heart. You having taken flesh to redeem me was more difficult than to transform my brokenness. Amen.